nationwide, there is a shortage of nephrologists. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it, I think nephrology has a big image problem. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Mark, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Mark. In today's episode, we're going to talk with a physician who would describe his profession as not very sexy. However, it will be very clear that his profession really helps thousands, if not millions of lives every year. They also, as a profession, really connect with their patients because they see these patients on a regular basis. My guest today is a nephrologist, a kidney specialist working in Honolulu, Hawaii, and his name is Dr. Rikayashi. Now, one thing about Dr. Hayashi that most of you don't know is Rick is one of my best friends from medical school. And I will tell you before we go into his bio that Rick is one of those friends where I consider it honor to be his friend. He is intelligent, smart, hardworking, kind, humble, and available when I need him, uh, when I want to talk to him. And it also helps that he has a, a wonderful wife and family. So uh, I feel honored that we've been able to know each other and grow together as uh, our families have got to know each other as well. So here's a quick bio on Rick. Born and raised in Maui, he went to college at University of Hawaii, then got his medical degree at the University of Hawaii, along with yours truly. He then went to UCLA for internship um, internal medicine internship and residency, as well as did a chief residency year in internal medicine. Also at UCLA, he did his nephrology fellowship, then did a kidney transplant fellowship at SUNY Brooklyn Medical Center. He worked at the VA Medical Center in Hawaii uh, and the Pacific Islands for several years until finally moving to private practice in Honolulu, Hawaii. Rick has won a number of accolades and awards over the years, but one that stands out to me is he won the Po'okela Noeao Award, chosen by the University of Hawaii School of Medicine class of 2000 as the most ideal graduating physician. In some way, that says a lot about Rick right there. And before we jump into this guest interview with my buddy Rick, that you're going to hear some background noises and, and sounds that kind of sound like we're in a hospital, which he was. <laughs> he was actually in the patient waiting area uh, and doing an interview and so I will tell you the conversation is a little bit more subdued and maybe muted than how Rick and I usually converse just because he is in a uh, at a hospital at the time. So without much further ado let's jump into this conversation with my buddy Dr. Rick Koyashi. Hey buddy how you doing Rick? Thanks for joining me on this episode dude. Of course, glad to glad to be a part of it, and it's a privilege to be asked to do this with you. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And just, I know you're uh, in the hospital still, so there's so, still some background noise going on. Yeah, I want to apologize which, for that. I, I no, don't worry. Make it out of the hospital in time for this. So I'm I'm actually in the in one of the waiting rooms in the little <laughs> corner at Queens Medical Center in Hawaii. Yes. Well, that's in okay. Hawaii. That's that's when that's where I did my rotations too. Surgery, yeah. I think. Yeah. General surgery. General surgery. Um, yeah. Well, listen, let's just dive into it because I, I don't want to pull you too long from too, uh, I'll pull you away too long from your 
your patient care. But I just let's dive into this and and um, uh, hopefully you can share some of your stories. But sure. I first want to talk about if you could tell me what your profession is, you know, what you do, and what type of patients you you take care of. So I, I am a, a board certified nephrologist. I, you know, after we graduated medical school together, I, I did a residency in internal medicine. And then following internal medicine, I did a fellowship in nephrology, which is you know, the study of kidney disease. And then following that, I did another fellowship in kidney transplant. So I take care of patients with all, you know, adults with all spectrums of kidney disease, including kidney failure, patients who have had kidney transplants. Um, complicated patients, you know, with hypertension, electrolyte disorders, acid-based disorders. Um, so that's what I do. And how exactly do you help them? Well, it, it depends what, you know, problems they come to me with. Majority of my patients are patients who have what we call chronic kidney disease, mm-hmm. you know, of various stages. And so I help them by, one, trying to figure out why they have chronic kidney disease. Two, try to slow down the progression of their chronic kidney disease by you know, treating the underlying reasons for their chronic kidney disease. Yeah. And then in the unfortunate ones, you know, preparing them for dialysis and or transplantation, kidney transplantation. Are you ever doing procedures on patients? Uh, well, you know, the only procedure that, that we would do would be, because we're not, I'm not a surgeon. I'm a, I'm a medical doctor. So, you know, putting in dialysis catheters, temporary dialysis catheters, and then also kidney biopsy. Um, those are the two procedures that I do. I, I do oversee a procedure called, you know, dialysis. Mm-hmm. I don't actually do the dialysis, but it is technically a procedure that I am, you know, responsible for um, that I a lot see. of my patients undergo. I see. But you just, you determine um, how the dialysis should run and perform. Yeah. For yeah. So I, I adjust the dialysis to each individual patient's specific needs, you know, cause no, no, you know, no dialysis prescription is equivalent. I mean, it really, it has to be adjusted and it's continuously adjusted on a month to month basis based on what their labs show, what their vitals are and their physical examination are. I see. In what settings are you taking care of patients? Is it always in a hospital, other no. type of facilities? Yeah. So the nice thing about nephrology, I mean, you know, some people might view it as a strength, others as a weakness is, you know, we're like the old time physicians. Like, you know, nowadays every... Hmm but he's so compartmentalized, right? You have physicians who are only in the hospital or physicians who are only in the clinic. Um, you know, whereas I see patients in the hospital, I see patients in the intensive care unit. Um, I see patients in clinic. I see patients in the dialysis unit. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I see patients all over the place and I see patients, you know, I've, that I've taken care of, you know, for many years. I, I see them when they're admitted to the hospital so I see patients in all realms. I see. So you often take care of patients over many, many months, sometimes years, it sounds like, not oh, just yeah. for a day. No, no, many, many years. Yeah. From the time, you know, that they're referred to me uh, all the way to, you know, basically when until they pass, but for their entire life, you know. So you really have a sometimes a long-term relationship with these patients, not only medically, but personally as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get to know a lot of them. And, you know, we over the course of many years, we share family stories and I get to know, <laughs> you know, their family members come in and I get to meet yeah. them. So I get to meet the whole family a lot of times. A lot of these patients are very sick too. So, you know, they, they're in the hospital, their family comes in, you know, we get, you know, we get pretty close. You know, it's a lot different than me, Rick, because, um, you know, as an anesthesiologist, I take care of one patient for a day. 
And I usually don't see them until they come back for surgery, if at all. And so it's very different. And you're right. I, all I do is typically work in an operating room setting for most anesthesiologists. So it's very different than what you're doing, where you see patients regularly, uh, weekly, if not several times a week. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, I mean, even, I mean, you know, anesthesia, I think, is just kind of innate to that specialty. I mean, that's yeah. probably how it was 20 years ago. Whereas right. with internal medicine, you know, in the past, like internists would see their patients in clinic and when they got admitted, they would follow them into the hospital. But nowadays, everything is so compartmentalized. So in internal medicine, for example, an outpatient internist will only see them in the outpatient. When they're admitted, they get admitted to a hospitalist and the, in, the outpatient doctor has nothing to do with their inpatient right. care. And so there's yep. a big fragmentation in care. Whereas for me, I'm pretty much one of the only ones that actually sees them through the entire course, whether they're inpatient, outpatient. And so I think I have a better understanding of the whole picture of what's going uh -huh. on with their medical care. You know, I mean, and the fragmentation is done for quality of life reasons, right? Because, right. yeah, so obviously, you know, nephrology quality of life is, is fairly challenging at times. Um, but would you that. say a lot of nephrologists also are like you as well in terms of they're taking care of patients in the hospital, in the dialysis uh, unit, uh, clinical, um, uh, the clinic as well? I mean, all nephrologists kind of behave that way yeah. or some some nephrologists only work in hospital or well, only work think, in dialysis unit yeah I, I think you know there's a mixture here in hawaii for example here at queens you know there's a couple of nephrologists that um they only see patients in the hospital they're kind of hospital nephrologists okay um yeah and they won't they don't accept outpatient referrals for new you know so the, all their new consults are are from the hospital and then they'll follow up with them when they're discharged in the clinic, but they're not accepting any new outpatient referrals. It's all inpatient based. I see. Yeah. Uh, and, and for you, Rick, for your specialty, it's inherent in your job that you constantly and regularly have to look at the patient's labs. That's a yeah. regular part of care of the patient. Yeah. I mean, well, the labs are really important, but everything's important, you know, so the I's and O's, the daily weights, the hemodynamics, the vasopressor trends, you know, how much levofed they're on, like, you know, especially in my ICU patients who are mm -hmm. on continuous dialysis, for example, um, you know, they're critically ill. Um, so, you know, I look at everything because, you know, the, the continuous dialysis that I'm running, you know, we have control over all those parameters. We have control over the acid base status, the electrolytes, the volume status, right. the fluid removal. So we have to pay attention to all of those things. Hey, Rick, you know, some of these people, some of the listeners are high school students or college students. So can you describe in brief what dialysis is? So, you know, you know, people pee, right? It's a, it's a way to... <laughs> urinate, it's a yeah. Way, yeah, you urinate. You got to go to use the bathroom, right? Yeah, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, that's the body's way of removing excess fluid, poisons, toxins that our body generates just through the course of living. Yeah. Um, and so patients who have kidney failure, they don't, they're not able to clean their blood of the urine. So what dialysis is, is, is for patients who are in kidney failure, it's a mechanical way to remove urine from the blood, essentially. Is there anybody else that does dialysis is only nephrologists? It's only nephrologists. Yeah, you have to be board certified. Well, you know, you have to have certifi uh, board certification in nephrology or board eligibility in nephrology to be credentialed to do dialysis with the hospitals. Uh -huh. Otherwise, you can't, you can't perform dialysis. So definitely a unique skill set just for your profession. Yeah. Got it. Um, what is a typical day like for you, start to finish? Uh, well, it, it, it's, it varies day to day depending if I have clinic or not on that particular day. Okay. Um, so like 
for example, today I don't have clinic. That's why I can, you know, I just have to round in the hospital and I can do this interview. Whereas yesterday, you know, I, I got into the hospital at about, I got in at six, started rounding. Um, I rounded up until about 1130. And then I rushed over to my office at for 12 o'clock outpatient clinic mm. where I saw outpatients until five. And, and, then, and when you're in a clinic for an afternoon, how many patients are you seeing usually? Uh, in a half day, I'll see anywhere from 15 to 20 patients. Okay. All right. And then usually your day ends at five or what happens after that? It depends if I'm on call. So I, I'm, I'm in a group and we rotate call by the week. So if I'm on call that week, I, my day doesn't end. I just, I have the pager. And so I get paged through the night for any issues that come up with any of our patients. Got it. Um, from all the hospitals, all the dialysis units, the outpatient setting. Right, right. Yeah, so it can be busy, you know, for that When week. you're on call. When I'm on call. When I'm off call, you know, I, I do my regular day, but then I, at 5 o'clock, I can turn my pager off. Okay. Yeah. But you're but when you're on call, you are definitely um, uh, fielding calls from from nurses or the yep. patients themselves yep. about any issues, and, and you try to help manage any, whether it's a dialysis or, or you know, kidney-related problems. Right. Right. And from all the hospitals too. So from the hospital emergency mm-hmm. rooms at Queens, Straub, Polymomi, all the local hospitals. Got it. What misconceptions do people have about your career? Nationwide, there is a shortage of nephrologists. Um, oh, really? Y- yeah. I mean, it, I think nephrology has a big image problem. Um, mm. I always joke that nobody ever goes to medical school dreaming of becoming a nephrologist. I sure didn't. You know, <laughs> it's not one of those glamorous, sexy kind of specialties like anesthesiology, you know, where, <laughs> where, very you know, glamorous here. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, you know, medical students, you know, go into medical school dreaming of becoming that, you know, or like cardiology or a brain surgeon or yeah, you know, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Nobody, nobody goes to medical school dreaming of being a nephrologist. So I teach at the medical school. I teach first year medical students, um, basic nephrology. I, I, do, I do a lecture and I do CSP, which is a clinical skills preceptorship at the university of Hawaii. And I always ask, the very first question I ask the entire class, how many of you want to be nephrologists? And universally, nobody raises their hand. <laughs> then I ask how Boy, many of you want to be cardiologists <laughs> yeah, or you know, surgeons or neurosurgeons. And you, know, you get a, a mix, but definitely more people, you yeah. know, or at least some people raise their hand. So, so I, think, I think there's an image issue with this specialty. It, it, you know, you're dealing with urine. Um, it's it's complicated i think it's very you know mentally demanding because of the physiology the physiology can be complex the patients are really really sick you know a lot of multi-system organ dysfunction it all impacts the kidney and so i think because of all those reasons you know people are not going into nephrology so it's very easy to get a nephrology fellowship now um you know a lot of a lot of prestigious programs are not filling and so what's going to happen down the road and, and, you know, the number of patients with kidney disease is just growing exponentially right now about in Hawaii, we have a population over a million. There's about 145,000 people who have chronic kidney disease. Wow. Yeah. And how many nephrologists do we have on the Island? Maybe, I don't know, I'm guessing 15, 10, 15 nephrologists on the Island. Wow. Maybe more. I, I, I've, I haven't counted, but you know, for 145,000 patients, clearly not enough nephrologists. There might be 20 nephrologists. But you're busy. You have you, Your work is mentally demanding and you're busy because the sheer numbers of patients yeah, and, then, very busy. And, and, a, and a low number of nephrologists to those patients. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and just the acuity of the patients. I mean, they're complex. They they really take time to think through all the issues, you know, especially as it relates to the kidneys. Given that, Rick, are what is the rewarding part of being a nephrologist? Well, I think you know the continuity of care. You know, seeing patients in the clinic through their hospitalizations. A lot of times, it's multiple hospitalizations, and I have a you know I just have the feeling that I'm not just there for one episode of their care. I'm there throughout. And I think the patients really, you know, they come to see me as somebody very, very important in their care. And just, Mm. you know, that was the whole reason I wanted to go into medicine. I didn't go into medicine thinking I was going to be a nephrologist, but I wanted to go into medicine to to take care of people and to be with them during the hard times. And, you know, you know, just to to be with them and to take care of them. Um, And so that's very, very rewarding. You know, I mean, a lot of these patients, you know, they're, they're almost like family because I see them so often, mm. you know, and you, you, you get really attached to them. So I really like that, you know, but it, it, it's, you know, it, there's a downside to that, too, because it, it's very taxing and draining, you know, physically, emotionally sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. How would you describe your work-life balance as a nephrologist? Uh, well, you know, because I'm, I'm in a group, so we share call, we share space cover each other's patients it does help with work-life balance um my father-in-law was a nephrologist uh, yeah and he was in solo practice oh my and god so yeah it you know i mean obviously he didn't cover as many patients but you know because he only had his patient panel whereas when i'm on call i'm covering the panel of six busy nephrologists but he never had any time off you know he just he was always on call so i think you know because i can turn my pager off when i'm not on call at 5 p.m um, you know, I think it does allow me to have dinner with my family and to be able to enjoy my family. But, you know, it's just the call weeks that are, are more challenging. By the way, when you're seeing patients in as a nephrologist, how many times are you seeing them a, di- uh, a week? Well, I mean, my hospitalized patients, I see them every day. Every day? Okay. Yeah. The patients that are on chronic dialysis, um, you know, I have nurse, we, we, I have nurse practitioners who see them weekly in the dialysis unit on dialysis. Okay. And I, I see, you know, depending on what active issues are going on, because, you know, a lot of these, these chronic dialysis patients are very stable. And so, you know, I don't, you know, they're already inundated with their dialysis appointments and, you know, cardiology and all these other appointments. So, you know, I don't want to see them unnecessarily, but it can vary between maybe once every couple of weeks to once every three to six months. But when someone's on dialysis, don't you, uh, and when someone's on dialysis, don't you have to get dialysis two, three times a week? And don't you have to see them, therefore, every every two to three times a week as well? Or oh, no, no, your nurse no. practitioners are able to help yeah. do that? Well, even the nurse practitioners only need to see them once a week, even though they're dialyzing three times a week. Because, oh. Yeah, because it's it's pretty, you know, for the most part, it's pretty stable. I mean, you know, there, there are usually no issues. I mean, oh, and, okay. and, but if there are, you know, we have to be available. So I, I get called. Or my nurse practitioner gets called, you know, if the blood pressure drops, patient cramps, patient codes on dialysis, you know, we get called and we have to be able to handle those issues. There's an infection, you know, whatever it may be. Got it. You know, Ricky talked about how the interest in nephrology as a profession has kind of gone, gone down such that finding a, a, a position in nephrology after medical school is is maybe easier than maybe in the past. So what do you think the future outlook is like for your profession? Is it well, something that it's, is it a profession that will always be needed? 
Yeah. You know, as long as like, you know, America is dealing with obesity epidemic and, you know, just diabetes, um, there's always going to be need for nephrologists. And, you know, as the nephrology workforce ages and retires, and there's not enough trainees filling those spots, there's going to be an increased demand for nephrologists. So I think the job outlook is actually really good for nephrologists, you know, but again, Nobody seems to be interested in going into nephrology, but that's mm. part of the reason the job outlooks look is so good. If you do recommend this career to students, what kind of students do you think best flourish in this kind of profession? Well, I mean, you you know, you work hard, so it has to be somebody who who wants to do it for the right reasons. You know, who who wants to be there, who kind of like you know has an old school view of medicine where their doctor followed the patient through thick and thin, through hospitalization, through outpatient, you know, somebody who kind of holds on to those ideals of medicine. I think those, those kinds of people would be perfect for nephrology. Um, you know, you can make more money in other specialties. You know, you can make twice as much money as a cardiologist. Um, so, you know, it, I think it just, it takes a special person. Oh, really? Nephrology it can be very, um, can be very lucrative from a financial standpoint. Uh, Potentially can be, but not always, you know, it depends how hard you work. If you're employed as a nephrologist, if you're employed by Kaiser or the VA or by a healthcare system, um, you'll, you'll make, you, you're not going to make too much. You'll, you'll make almost uh, maybe a little more than what a hospitalist would make. And, you know, that's having done uh, several years of fellowship. So, you know, you could just not do fellowship and be a hospitalist and make almost as much as an employed nephrologist would make. When you're in private practice, though, you have other opportunities. You know, you you have opportunities to, you know, buy into like dialysis units. You know, you have opportunities to, you know, you have basically there are more opportunities to kind of supplement your income if you're Got in it. private practice. Yeah. Got it. Rick, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about how how you were you know, how you even got into this. But even for we, before we do that, could you tell me what you were, you were like as a high school student? Were you, <laughs> were you someone that was always interested in going to medicine? Uh, no, I actually originally wanted to either be a history teacher or go to law school. Or, really? In high school? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought I was going to do. That's so different than what you're doing now. Wow. Yeah. I, I well, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I mean, I wasn't really serious about those things, but I just thought I, I didn't really think medicine. But I, I I think in the back of my mind, I had a you know I have a cousin who I've you know he's nine years older than me who went to medical school who I kind of idolized growing up, and but I never thought you know he went to like Iolani this very prestigious private school. I went to <laughs> a public school on the island of Maui. And so, yeah. you know, very different pedigrees. And I just didn't think I had what it took to go into med to make it to medical school. So I, not that I didn't want to become a doctor. I just didn't think it was even within the realm of possibility. And so when did the idea of going into medicine pop in your mind? So I went to University of Hawaii. I, I wanted to go away, but my, my mother couldn't, a single mom, she couldn't afford to send me away. Um, yeah. I got accepted to several mailing colleges, but had to go to University of Hawaii, which I, I really enjoyed. I had a good time there. Um, so in my first year there, I got a 4.0, uh, took a couple of science classes. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I can go into medicine. And so, Oh, really? Yeah. And then, so it was really between my first and second year uh, as an undergraduate at the University of Hawaii where I was like, you know what? Let me, let me try this. And so I took more science classes 
And then I enrolled in this Howard Hughes uh, medical research program. Yeah. And so I was able to do some, you know, pretty intensive research, published, presented nationally at a cancer society, um, you know, symposium. And um, yeah, did pretty well, grades wise, took the MCAT and got into Jabsum. And we started med school together in 1996. <laughs> well, by the way, Jabsum, for the people who are listening, is um, the acronym for John A. Burns School of Medicine at University of Hawaii. Yeah. So, so it sounds like because you were getting positive feedback in terms of your grades, that kind of fueled the idea that, hey, I can get into medical school. Yeah, possibly. I mean, you know, the, the acceptance rates were very low. I mean, our, our, I think our starting class size was 55. Yeah. And like in, my understanding is high there 50s. were yeah, over a thousand applicants. So, you know, the, just the sheer odds were not really favorable. What was your backup plan? Reapply. I didn't, I didn't have enough <laughs> backup plan. Yeah. By that point, it was all or nothing, you know. Really? Yeah. And and so you got in the first time. Hey, I, what was your degree in? I forgot. So I, um, I actually... I, you know, UH offers this program called liberal studies where you can design your own degree. And I knew I wanted to go to med school in Hawaii. I knew I wanted to, you know, be here serving the population here. So I actually combined a degree with Hawaiian language and, um, you know, biomedical science. Yeah. So I created a degree. And so I, I took advanced level Hawaiian language courses um, and as well as all the pre-med requisites and then, you know, some higher level science courses like cell molecular and you know, advanced biochemistry, things like that. And um, yeah, and I, I created my own degree. What was the name of your degree? Healthcare in Hawaii, something like that. It was, yeah, <laughs> I had to get it approved. You know, you had to write an essay as to why right. your degree should be approved. It had to be approved by some academic counselors. And yeah, so it was approved. Rick, I was impressed because when we were in medical school, you could speak fluent Hawaiian, which at the time was kind of a dying language. You know, and yeah. lately it's really start to flourish over the last two, three decades as a uh, not only for its culture but also the 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 language and the history of Hawaiiana. Yeah. Um. So, do you think that helped? So, I first of all, I was always impressed because you know you you were you you took on this um this language and and learned it, but. Do you think because you did this specialty degree that helped you, did that help you get into medical school, you think, because it's very unique and stood out? You know, I, I, I think it did. I mean, I didn't do it for that reason, but mm -hmm. I, well, I did it because I've always loved Hawaiian language, even growing up on Maui. I, I, I remember going over to a friend's house, you know, and, and, you know, this is back in the early 80s, late 70s, and hearing yeah. the grandparents speak Hawaiian. And even from a young age, I was always drawn to that. And so... You know, throughout middle school and high school, I was always involved in the Hawaiian club. I would, you know, we would tour as a school. We went to Lanai, Molokai, and we would sing songs and do demonstrations. And I was the only non-Hawaiian. I'm, I'm Japanese, a little bit of Chinese. By ethnicity. Yeah. By ethnicity, yeah. So, so I've always been enthralled by the culture and the language. And I, you know, I just, from a very young age, just loved the Hawaiian language, and even to this day, still love it. I still read, mm -hmm. listen to Hawaiian language radio, you know, just, huh. I speak to That's whoever awesome. I can. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I do think it did, you know, it, it was something different. I mean, it was something that, that made you kind of stand out because everybody who applies to medical school has outstanding grades. You know, they have yeah. good MCAT scores. 
they've done some research, some community service or volunteer work, but but then that's everybody. That becomes the norm. And so mm. when you're applying to medical school, I think you really do need something to differentiate you. And I think that's maybe what differentiated me. You know, I was able to publish in research, but yet I was able to, you know, focus on the humanities and the language and some of the unique issues that affect Native Hawaiians and Native Hawaiian healthcare. I think it's awesome, man. That's definitely made you stand out in my my mind. And it's just awesome to hear when you when you do speak something in the Hawaiian language. Oh, uh, thank you. Hey, Rick, reflecting back, would what would you have done differently, if anything? You know, I, I, I look back at what, you know, what we went through in medical school. Yeah. And like, honestly, I mean, those four years in medical school with you, Richard, and with some of our other friends were some of the best years of my life. Honestly. Yeah. So fun. It was really fun. And I, I think back, you know, just the time studying till after midnight at that internet cafe or Barnes yep. and Nobles and, you know, just being Starbucks, delirious. Starbucks. Mall. <laughs> yes. And, um, but also, you know, some of the trips we took and just, I, 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 I don't think I, I don't think I would have changed anything. You know, I, I, I think I've, I've been blessed, you know, my life has been blessed my medical career, my training, everything has been just really wonderful. And I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I see. I, I kind of forgot to ask, but regarding your training after medical school, you went on to do, and you mentioned briefly at the beginning, but you went on to do an internship in internal medicine and nephrology. So that's a total of what, seven years after medical school? Yeah. So in total, after I graduated medical school, I was in training for an additional seven years. Wait, three. No, eight years, right? Didn't you do another year um, in transplant. Yeah. Well, it was three years. Well, I did four years of internal medicine because I did a four fourth chief, chief residency here. Right. And then I did a two-year nephrology fellowship. Ah, and then two I did years. a third okay. year in transplant. Got it. Of all those specialties, um, all that training you went to, what was the hardest part? Uh, well, I mean, in, I think intern year, I think for most most you know people who go through training, I think intern years definitely the hardest and if you can remember so we were interns in 2000 2001 mm -hmm. you know a couple of years before they instituted any of the work hour regulations that's true that residents currently are protected yep. yeah that, that they're currently protected by now so uh, you know i took q you know q3 call every third night in the icu you don't sleep at all i know some surgical residents were taking q2 call whereas every yep. other night you're up all night you know yep. you might have experienced that I was every um, other every night every other night every other night um, yeah for some rotations yeah yeah and um, I just remember not sleeping for like over twenty four hours thirty six hours sometimes you know just working all, all day all night all day the next day and then coming home at eleven o'clock at night the next night you know not having slept a single minute mm. um, and that was brutal I mean that was physically and psychologically just brutal. You know, that's not allowed anymore. But back in the day, it was like there was no holds barred. I mean, you know, you, they would work you to the, to the bone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in internship. Uh, Rick, I want to go shift gears a little bit. I want to turn our attention to what I call Dr. Marn's lightning round. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have you heard of this yet? I have not heard of that. All right. Yeah. So it's uh, questions. Uh, you give your best answer. It doesn't okay. need to be long unless you want it to. Okay. All right. You ready? I'm ready. 
Favorite city in the United States besides the one you live in? New York City. Your hometown. I knew that one. Yeah. <laughs> Scale of one to ten, how good of a driver are you? Uh, eight and a half. I've, I've not gotten into a major accident. So. Eight and a half. You're giving yeah. yourself a half point. Yeah. I, sometimes I struggle a little bit with parallel parking. <laughs> Just not for the parallel parking issue, maybe a nine and a half. Uh, what's your ideal outside temperature? Uh, 75 degrees. If you were stuck on an island and could bring only two things with you, what would you bring? My wife and my kids. I don't know if that goes things. Let's stick with things. Things. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, my, my phone, right? Because that, that would provide you a lot of information and communication. And then I guess my computer. All right. If you were 80 years old, what would you tell your children about life and about business that would be the most important thing for them to know to get a head start? Um, do, do things well, work hard, do your best, show that you care, care, you know, care about what you do, care about people. And, and then good things will happen if you do that, you know. That sounds like solid advice, man. What's your best childhood memory? Oh, uh, you know, I would say growing up in Maui and just the freedom when I was in middle school, I had a bike and my, I would, I remember I would leave at seven in the morning with my friends and not come home till seven o'clock at night. My mom had no idea where I was and we would just go everywhere. I had $5 in my pocket. I would buy lunch with that and, you know, drinks and we would just go, we would go play in the ditch, go, you know, ride our mm-hmm. bikes up to EL Valley and just go everywhere, you know, and, and just the freedom of, of doing that I think was very it, it kind of helped to shape who I am now. Wow, so different than how our kids are growing up too now, huh? So different, yeah. Jeez. Where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you? Well, you know, so we um, we do have a website. You can just Google um, Hawaii Kidney Specialist. That's the name of our of my group, my, my nephrology group. Um, and on that, you know, we have contact information. Um, we have a bios and all the physicians, including myself, uh, pictures, you know, so you can see who my partners are. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. I'm actually not on like Facebook or Instagram. Mm. I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it would be tough. I just, I don't know. It's so busy that I can't, I don't know if I could devote the time to maintain I'm any sure presence you necessarily there. need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. You're busy enough, it sounds like. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Thanks a lot for joining me. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, Richard. Good, good to hear from you as always. All right, everybody, that's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmar.com or hcwithdrmar.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.